So it's pointed out that even though I often say it myself uh, when I'm leading the prayer times, I forgot to introduce myself. And so I'm Waylon, in case you, you didn't know, and uh, my primary responsibility here is to uh, lead our, our youth in uh, their different uh, times of, of growing to, to know God better. And uh, I have the, the privilege of, of speaking uh, this week. Let's start uh, by looking at Luke 15, 11 to 32. In the New Living Translation, it says this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. There he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to feed into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and not once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet with this, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Heavenly Father, as we, we examine your word this morning, as, as we look at the things that you have put on, on my heart to share this morning, we just ask that, that you would come, that you would speak to us. God, speak through me this morning. We ask that our ears would be opened, that we would hear what it is that you are saying to each, each one of us that our hearts wouldn't be hardened or distracted, but that we can truly 
truly hear you. Lord, we just ask you to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this week, um, we are starting a new series. Uh, so we, we are going to be going uh, through a, a number of, of pictures over the next uh, few weeks. And these, these pictures are, are pictures of how we have misconstrued God, false images that we bring to how we have viewed God. And so this week, I wanted to uh, look at how we, we can see God as this overbearing father. How we sometimes think of him as, as demanding that he has these ultra-high standards and expect us to constantly meet or surpass them. That we think that praise is, is never given for achievement or, you know, Maybe sometimes we get acknowledgement that we did something, but there's always that hint that we could have done it better. Or maybe other times he seems aloof or too busy for us. When we view God this way, a few different things can happen to us. And in fact, this parable helps us to see those things. One of them is we can be like the younger son and we can run. We can go, ah, you know, God, he just wants too much of me. My father, he's, he's so demanding. And so we just run. We run off. But on the other side, we can become like the older brother. And we can stay. But in our hearts... There, there's a hardness that happens. And we begin to, to believe some things that are wrong. And when we believe these things, we, be, we start to live them out in who we are as Christians. And we can even begin to teach them and pass them on to others. So I want to look at, at some of these things that I think we, we start to do when we believe that, that God is an overbearing father. One of the things I think we, we start to teach is we teach that God is distant and that whatever we get from God should be enough. That if he gives us, you know, just, just enough to get by, well, that should be enough. You know, that's, that's, all, that's all I really, you know, deserve from God. The older son, he says, you know, you never, you never gave me a goat for a party, God. You know, dad, he's saying, right? You never, you never gave me even, even a goat so I could have a party. Here, the fattened calf got killed. Like, come on, dad. But what's the response from the father? He says, all I have is yours. <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like there was this close, intimate relationship going on there. The, fa the father had not stood aloof. The son had. 
I, I don't think that's what the, the father wanted. I get this picture of you know, the father rising early, sitting at the breakfast table, and the son wakes up, and dad says, hey, come, sit with me, let's, let's have some breakfast. You know, I've started to, it wouldn't be bacon, because they're Jewish, right? So, uh, but, but he's beginning to, to maybe, you know, fry up some, some lamb bacon, uh, and uh, he got some eggs on the, on the griddle, and he says, come sit, have breakfast with me, and, and his son says, yeah, in a minute, I just got some chores to do, I'll, I'll be I'll be back. Well, let me just grab some. And he takes off. And the father sits there and goes, ah, I was really hoping we could sit and talk. And the older son, just always wanting to please his father, is, is off and busy. But at the same time, he has this inward feeling that God is never giving him, that his dad is never giving him what he wants. It's, it's this funny picture. Because he says, everything I have is yours. If, if they had just communicated, if they had just talked with one another, if the son had said, hey, Dad, I was, I was thinking it'd be fun if me and my friends you know, had a, had a party, you know, grab one of the goats, you know, we could feed them, we could sing some songs, have a campfire. What, would the, what was the father's response? Well, everything I have is yours, son. Sure, go ahead. Everything I have is yours. Sometimes we, we think, I know sometimes I can get this in my head, that we have to earn God's favor, right? That if I do everything good enough, if I do everything right, if I work hard enough, then God is going to be proud of me. Maybe you've had a father like that. I know sometimes... I, I look at myself and my raising of my kids and I want the best for them. And so, because I'm human, I go and I push them. And I say, oh, you can do that better. Come on, let's do this. Let's work at this. And I get frustrated and I get angry. And so I become that, that father, that, that demanding father. Says, let's do this. But that's, that's me projecting who I am and my flaws and my faults onto God when I bring that into our relationship. Because that's not who He is. He knows all too well how imperfect we are. He knows that we cannot earn our favor, earn his favor. Right? The, the older son, he says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. 
He thought it was all about what he did that would make his dad happy. It's so easy to fall into that trap. It's so easy to teach that trap, right? Well, these are the Ten Commandments. We have to obey these, and if we do these things, Jesus will love us. Right? This is what a good Christian does. Make sure you do these things, and then, well, then God will love you. I think perhaps we've misread the words of Christ when he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. We think this is clausal, not causal, okay? So legally speaking, a clause is a statement within a contract that sets out particular rules or conditions, right? So a clause would say, well, you know, if so-and-so does this, then so-and-so must do this, yada, yada, yada. This is how it's going to work out. And so we read this and we say, well, if I love him, I will obey him. So my obedience is uh, conditional upon his love. If I, if I don't obey, then I don't love him, right? I have to do this. This is because if, if I don't love him, he won't love me, and, and then it'll just all, all be bad. But it's, it's not a clause. It's within a legal statement. Jesus is just stating a fact. It's causal. If we fall in love with him, we'll want to obey him. We'll want to do the things that he's set out. It won't be that we are trying to earn his favor. It'll just be that we want to be with him and do the things that he wants us to do because we'll see his love for us and that they're good for us. It'll not be out of obligation, but out of desire. It's not, if you want to love me, you must obey me, but when you have fallen in love, you will want to obey me. Sometimes I think we, we can believe that God needs to be feared more than he needs to be loved. That, our, that this father, that this overbearing father, it's like, oh man, if I don't do, if I don't do the right thing, he, he's not going to be happy with me, he's going to be upset. You know, and the Bible says that if I sin, I fall short of God's glory, and then I'm going to go to hell. People will go and, and literally stand on soapboxes and preach hell, fire, and brimstone to people who have no idea who God is. And yes, Jesus preached about hell, fire, and brimstone. Yeah, he, he preached about those things. But he never did it to anyone who did not know who God was. When he spoke those words, 
he always spoke them to the religious leaders of the day. He always spoke to people who knew of God's amazing grace. His words of warning were much more for the church than they were for the unbeliever, for those that didn't know. And so we do God a great disfavor if we teach the fear of God without teaching his love. Because that's not who our Father is. If we look at the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament, of course, but even as we look at the story of the Old Testament where we sometimes have this sense of this this fire and brimstone God, we see constantly God inviting grace. We see Abraham, right, and and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And we know how that story ends. And when we think of it, oh, fire and brimstone, right? God just destroys it because of their wickedness. But we forget the earlier part where God goes and says, "Should should we tell Abraham what we're about to do? And they decide, yeah, yeah, we should. Abraham... We've seen the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we're going to go and destroy. And Abraham says, well, what if you find some, you know, 40 people there that, that love you and, and are obedient to you? And he says, okay, if I find 40 people. Well, God, what, what if there's only 20? Okay, if, if I find 20. Well, okay, so... So maybe there's not 20 and there's only 10. God, then will use... And, and he says, yeah. Yeah, if there's, there's 10. And so, why did, why did God do that? Why did God stop to tell Abraham? Well, we could think that it was because, you know, well, he did have a relative, right? Lot was in, in the area, right? He was there. And so maybe that's why. Maybe he, he was trying to, to warn him. But I think God was giving opportunity for Abraham to get a picture of his grace. That he is constantly desiring grace. And if we pay attention to that story, as that story goes on, he does not find ten people there. The fact is, he only finds one person who is really righteous. And even when he finds that one person, he tries to save four. This is God's grace. When he finds one, he saves four. And one, one sins immediately and perishes. And so only three are saved. But that is a picture of God's grace. Always trying to save more. And yet we can get so caught up in this idea of fear. So, when we think of God in this way, we, we think of him as distant. We, we thinking that we must earn his favor, that, you know, whatever we get should be enough 
and that he should be feared more than loved. But that's not who our Father is. Our Father is a good Father. He is a loving Father. He is caring. The Word says that in uh, 2 Corinthians 1-3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. comfort. In Psalm 68-5, he's called the Father to the fatherless. In Luke 11-13, it says this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Romans 18 talks of God as our Father. If we are children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Luke 12, 30 and 32, your father already knows your needs. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He is our good father, wanting to give us the kingdom. This is what Jesus came proclaiming. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand today. We are co-heirs in Christ. The kingdom of God, which he was ushering in, is there for us to usher in as well. Because we are his children. God loves us. Have you been watching the Olympics? Have you noticed that before any of the contestants uh, do anything, they, they, the camera often pans to their parents out in the crowds, right? How many of those parents have you seen, you know, you know, waiting, just they better do this right. You know, we've spent a lot of money, a lot of hours, and they're finally here. They better get this right. I don't know about you, but I have not seen that dad or mom in the crowd yet. They are beaming. They don't care how their kid's going to do. They want them to do really well. They don't care. They are just so excited that their child is having this opportunity. They're excited that their child is there. I get to be proud of my son for whatever happens, proud of my daughter for whatever she does, because I'm just proud of my daughter. I'm just proud of my son. I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, Jesus, at his baptism, this is, this is a picture of, of God our Father for us, right? Jesus is at the baptism, and God says, That's my boy! He's awesome. And the reality is, you are co-heirs in Christ. And so God wants to say, you, say to you, that's my boy. That's my girl. She's awesome. He's awesome. I love you so much. All that I have 
is yours. I want you to bring my kingdom into the world. That goat, that goat's yours. The cow's yours. The entire flock is yours. Use it. We do a great disfavor to the world around us when we carry the wrong pictures of God. We need to carry better, better pictures in our wallets of who our God is. If we don't desire who our God is, how will the world around us? But if we fall deeply in love with our Father, as deeply in love as he is with us, there won't be anything that'll stop us. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells a parable. There's this great party. Right? He's, or God, the Father, this, is going to have this great party. And he invites everyone to come, but no one seems to be able to make it. And so he says, go out into the streets. Invite everyone in. Whoever will come, have them come in. And so they do. They invite all these people in from the streets. But then there's this one guy who's there in the midst of everyone. And he's, he's just, you know, he was poor, so he's just dressed in his shabby clothes. And the, the man running this feast says, what's going on? Why is, why is he dressed like that? Where are his wedding clothes? Now understand, the wedding clothes are provided. They're given to the guests. But this man didn't accept them. He didn't recognize the gift that was being given him. He didn't take it and claim it and say, yeah, I am welcome here. So Jesus says that this man was thrown out. I think sometimes, I forget to put on the wedding clothes. And I stand... I stand as an heir of God in my old dirty garments rather than realizing what it is that God has given me. Estevan Alliance Church, let's put on the wedding clothes. Let's walk in the love that the Father has for us. Let's share that with others. Let's carry good pictures. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. God, these pictures, 
that we can carry around in our minds, in our hearts, that don't show who you truly are? God, help us with those. Help us realize what the the root issue is there. Help us give those over to you. Let us know you as the Father you truly are. One who comes to the stubborn and obstinate son and invites us in. One who loves us dearly and says, that's my child. Help us to show that to the world around us. As we are heirs to the kingdom of heaven, let us spread it wherever we go. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.